We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kearney. Joining us for this episode is Ivan Militar, Academy Director at El Paso Locomotive, professional club here in the United States, playing the USL. Plenty of good things happening there. As Ivan's going to explain, still a very, very young club. We talked today about building that football framework from a youth development side. It's a big, big topic. The challenges of leadership in DOC roles, director of coaching, director of football, technical director roles from a soccer level, but also extending that into values, club values, staffing, communication, and then also finding time for that personal development piece. Some brilliant stuff today from Ivan. I hope you enjoy this. If you do, please give it a shout out on Instagram on the Modern Soccer Coach page. It's also available on our YouTube page. If you haven't already, please go over there and give us a subscribe and support the work too. Before we start, I'd like to give a big shout out to our good friends and sponsors, Sports Lab 360. As a coach, it feels like you always need more time to teach your players all these different concepts. But not when you use Sports Lab 360. You can assign interactive modules to your players outside of training time so they can continue to develop the learning process. Stick around at the halfway point for a special offer. Here is Ivan. Enjoy. Ivan, thanks for joining us today in the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Hey, thank you for, for having me on. Big fan of your work. I enjoy what you post. I enjoy that you know we, we talk a lot in this country about growing the game. I'm a big believer that we've got to grow the quality of the game. Uh, we've got to grow the quality of discussions. We've got to improve the game. And, and I see you as a leader in your area of doing that there. So I've admired your work from afar and I'm in, in wanting to bring on someone to talk about from a leadership position at a club. You're one of the first people that I, that I thought of. So I appreciate your willingness to come on and thanks for all your, your work. This, this concept. And again, something that I, I kind of briefly told you on the email about why I wanted to chat about. I think it's new. I think it's a real challenge. Uh, DOCs, directors, technical directors, we're seeing a, a real growth in it. I believe at heart, everyone really wants to play the game in a really fluid and positive way. Doing that is really difficult. Establishing the vision is obviously really important on the front side of it. And, and you, were, you were very, very generous in sending me the document over and, and had a really good look at it. So, so asking some questions around that, the first one I have is that, that, is, that process, establishing a vision around a playing philosophy what are the first steps around establishing that? Who's involved? Where do you actually start this whole process? Yeah, good question. Um, in my career, I've been on the East Coast quite a bit. I've, I've played in college. You know, when I got to the country, then I was uh, director of coaching for Beach FC. That is uh, ACNA club um, in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I had some great mentors there and I, I went through the process there. And then I was at Barca Residency Academy in, in, in uh, Casa Grande. Um, and now I'm, you know, I was with Richmond United, another ACNA club. And now I'm in El Paso and all the different places. The reason why I'm listing all this, because all the different places have a different kind of context to it. Um, which means that, you know, you have to be aware of your context first and foremost. You cannot uh, go in somewhere and believe it or not, there's, I think, more of those people that are doing that um, than not going in there and trying to, I wouldn't even say force, but thinking that, okay, I have the, I have the mentality that I know, I know what these people need. Um, and, I, and I'm quite the opposite. I, I, I came in here with a, with a mindset of adaptation. Um, I wanted to wanted to ask questions first and see see what is the expectations from from my ownership, but also what is the sociocultural context that I'm working in. Um, you know, obviously, if somebody doesn't know El Paso is, I mean, it is as far and segregated from everybody else geographically as possible. I mean, you you won't believe it. Um, the the biggest city 
Um, the biggest cities are nine, eight, nine hours away. Phoenix is five and a half. Albuquerque is, you know, four and a half and nothing around us uh, other than Ciudad de Juarez on the other side of the border. That is our own community. But even on the other side of the border, Juarez is far away from other Mexican cities. So it's we are really relying upon ourselves and each other in this uh, community. And what I what I did first is I wanted to understand this community and the needs of this community. I wanted to figure out what is right, what is what, what feels comfortable? What is that, you know, they want to do? And, and it's re I'm really lucky because, you know, I'm coming from a background where, you know, it kind of matches with, with, uh, with the community. First of all, me personally, I'm, a, I'm an immigrant, right? I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm Hungarian. My wife is American and my, my daughter is going to be half Hungarian, half, half American. But, you know, truly, I'm an immigrant. And so as a, as a result, you know, there's a lot of, lot of people here. 80% of the people that are one way or the other, either first generation, second generation, or third generation immigrants, which are already establishing a bridge um, between our, ourselves and our, our values on a personal level. But from a soccer standpoint, it's even better because, you know, they want to have the ball. They want to attack. The Latino culture is very close to the, to the Hungarian culture when it comes to how we want to play the game, how we measure success, how we measure who is a good player and who is not. And uh, anywhere I go, I want to serve that community. And when there is so many synergies, I'm just a happy guy. Great start here. Uh, lots to kind of dig into that about. Uh, we, we'll talk a little bit about methodology and obviously the Barcelona impact on, on your methodology in a later on and very very shortly one yeah. thing then to go back and, and your experiences you mentioned there about the, the context and the culture and you can't just put something somewhere but on surface level it does look as if that barcelona academy something that is rich in culture in barcelona and this club and this this city and this landscape in spain and it's it's got an academy in Arizona that that you've worked on. We've had Sean McCafferty before and and talked about his experiences there and how powerful it was. How do they manage? How how was that experience? How how do they manage not to become that thing that they're just planting there? What what are some things that they get right? Well, if anybody you know interested in a unique environment, I I highly you know I highly recommend to go to Casa Grande. Um, it's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, 40 minutes away from Phoenix, um, you know, fields, kids, soccer balls, and the cafeteria and the dorm, right? Nothing else but the game. Uh, but if you just look at the people that, that you know, went into that place and, and, and left, even before the Barca influence, the Real Salt Lake Academy was there. And, and you know, I, I can't even list the names of how many people, coaches, specifically coaches, that were that Casa Grande became, became big time now. Some people you don't even know about. And then, of course, we have Sean McCafferty, who is the academy director at Red Bull uh, New York right now. Um, with him, a, a very good friend of mine, Chris Hartman, who is, who is now going to be the, the – who is now – one of the academy coaches there and um you know we have jad jad quinn who is an english lad um uh he will love to, to that i'm mentioning from sunderland so you know he he he's the one that is leading that institution for quite a bit now and even in el paso i have a colleague uh, a very close friend alex poso who worked with me at at uh, barca and he's now working very closely with me he's my right hand man here so it's it's a community of coaches that went there and then they left and doing other very successful things. And we don't even mention the players. I mean, Diego Luna for Real Salt Lake, Caden Clark, who is now in Germany, uh, Bryce Duke, who the reason why he's not in Inter Miami, because there's another playmaker that arrived there. Um, <laughs> so, so, you know, and uh, so again, it goes on and on. The culture there is a very different culture than anywhere else I've ever been. I always say that it's a life-changing uh life-changing experience. I got in there and I thought that I know a lot about the game and I quickly realized I know nothing. Um, we had uh, we had some technical people from FC Barcelona there, like Danny Silva, who who you know who was the one of the coaches for Ansu Fati, who was working for a long time with, with La Masia. We had you know Xavi Bravo, who is now at at, uh, at Seattle Sounders Academy. We had you know Mena, who is uh, who am a Mena, who is who is now uh, who is now an international scout. So we had some high level people that are establishing that culture. I think the key here, just so I can answer your question, the key here is that not only um, not only they try to make something similar 
to what is at La Masia, but they brought in high number of people that know exactly what is going on at, at La Masia. Now, I will say that you can never do the same thing. You can just copy and paste. However, if you do the if you do the basic and the fundamentals about the playing style, at least you can speak the same language. Doesn't matter where you go, you can speak the same language. Doesn't matter what, you know, uh, we had kids coming all over from America. We had, you know, from a racial standpoint, from a cultural standpoint, we had a very diverse group and they're having a very diverse group. And what connects them is the language that we use uh, among, among coaches that have been in, in Casa Grande. And I think it's a special group and I think it's a special culture, of a fantastic place, and I hope that it's going to stay forever there. Going back then, you mentioned there about not being able to replicate. When you, when you arrive in, in El Paso with that experiences and with this vision and with this understanding of building something what's the first thing you do is it staffing is it bringing in people that are already there and, and aligning them with your vision is it rip up the the curriculums i'm sure i'm sure that we're there like what does that look like well we are a very young club um at El paso locomotive very young first of all our professional team is celebrating the fifth year anniversary this year this is our fifth season so it's not you know it's not old at all um and our academy is even younger um, so it's only three years old, but even the first year, I wouldn't even, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't an established academy that you would call academy. It was, let's put together let's try to, to launch this. Right. And so we are getting to the point where, um, we are doing more and more and on a more professional level. And, and the very first thing I needed to do is organization. Um, I needed to establish a kind of, a kind of administrative and organizational structure. Um, that allows us to work and do the things on the field that we want to do. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we are in a business in, in a way. Um, I do need to look over budgets. I do need to hire and fire people. I do need to make sure that, you know, we have the fields and all those things. And, and you know, I, I want to say that, that when I arrived here, that had some work to do. Um, and so first, I wanted to organize ourselves. One of our goals, one of our, you know, uh, KPIs are, are making sure that we are a well-respected organization. And what I mean by that is that, okay, you know, we're showing up on time to games. We have, our parents know what the schedule is. I mean, little fundamental pieces that you would think that, it, you know, it's everywhere, but it's not everywhere just because of the newness being new um, in this area and in general as, as an organization. I think, I think that was the very first step. But also, the, again, the, we need to see what is, what is needed. What, what is right for them? Because, uh, you know, the coaches already, when I arrived, already looked for some kind of direction when it comes to style of play and philosophy, and I needed to provide that. Uh, I had a feeling that that's going to be a need. So I had like a month between being hired uh, and actually getting, um, putting, putting my uh, foot on the ground. And um, the, the presentation that I sent you is, is something like a very small version of it. I was already ready uh, to launch and to show everybody to set into direction. I think the most important thing is to set the vision and set a couple key keystones and, and show that, okay, this is the direction that we go and I will detail it later. But right now, this is the direction we go. Yeah, the, the, the vision and the, the values... I really, really enjoyed looking at uh, you talk about seven academy commandments. You know, when we're talking about elite player development, you, you think about these glossy terms. And But in yours, you've got, and I'll just share a couple, welcome newcomers, be honest, tell the truth, shake hands policy, greet visitors, uh, clean clothes, socks up, clean boots. I mean, these are things that, again, you don't take for granted, but you're thinking like, are we now at an age that we need to teach these uh, behaviors uh, day to day? We obviously are if you're prioritizing them. Yeah. Yeah, no, you know, it's, it's funny because this is not only, and I always say this to the, to the community, to my, to my families, right. And our coaches, this is not only for the players. So it's not uh, up to bottom, right? Like top to bottom kind of direction. It's not like, okay, here I am going to tell you how to behave. It is for me as well. 24-hour professional, for example, am I, you know, it's always a feedback loop for me as well and my colleagues. Are we, are we ready to say that we are 24-hour professionals? Or am I, am I showing up every training session completely in sync with what I'm going to do that day? Um, I think that's a hard, hard, uh, hard question to, to answer. Um, there are some that is strategically put in there. For example, the welcome newcomers is a very strategic one um, because guess what? 
we want to have the best players of El Paso in our club. And as a result, there is going to be a lot of childish players. There's a lot of ID, ID players. There's going to be some players that don't speak English, any English. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's going to be some, because we have, funnily, we have some instances that the other way around that don't speak any Spanish, one or two players. And now we need to somehow bridge that. And so when I arrived, one of the first things that I established was welcome newcomers and greet visitors. These are the two things, because as an academy director, I stepped out on the field for the first time. Everybody knew who I was and nobody came up to me to say hi. Uh, meanwhile, El Paso is one of the nicest community I've ever been in. And, that, and, that's, and I'm not just saying that because, you know, now I'm representing that community in a certain way. But I, I mean that. I mean, my neighborhood that where I live in my family, I mean, it's unbelievable people in El Paso, really, really, really friendly people. And I thought, found it odd that I meet all these nice people, but then they don't greet visitors. How come? And, uh, you know, we wanted, to, we wanted to establish certain things. And now everybody's shaking hands. Everybody's saying hi. The new, the new players that come in with uh, different colors or different shirts, we are acting with them from the first training session by policy as if he's our teammate. Because, you know, I need to have, and again, this is strategic, right? Um, I need to have a good picture of who I'm trying to bring in. And if they are not feeling comfortable, then that potential might not shine through. Um, it happened to me not many times, but it happened to me where I turned away the player and then a half a year later, it turned out that he was a very good player. He was just not feeling comfortable in our environment. So I wanted to eliminate those issues so I can get the best players. Oh, I mean, this is really, really interesting because you, you're, I mean, I, I've been in El Paso before. Um, oh. I, played, I played there in Bakersfield. We played UTEP. So I understand that you're literally looking across at Mexico. Like, it's so close that oh, yeah. you see the lights at night and uh, that proximity. The, the process around, and you've said it a couple of times, your language around community, that, that, in, that uh, interacting to different cultures and socioeconomically, I can imagine what you're saying there, that's going to be a challenge as well. You're obviously deliberate about it on the pitch and in practice and trying to get them shaking hands and talking. Is there anything around the club that you're doing to build that, uh, connect those two? 100%. So you're going to love this anecdote. I'm going to start with an anecdote because it's a good one. I'm the head coach for the U20 team that we have in the in the academy. It's a fully funded academy uh, team uh, playing in a USL Academy League. Um, competition it's basically the reserve team for our first team we are very young even though it's called u20 we are much younger than that we are 17 18 years old maximum we have some 16 year olds on the team as well um and we are training in the morning again alongside the first team so it's so it starts at seven o'clock in the morning and i have i'm the head coach for the team and i I, so i know the lives of these kids and we have two or three kids that are coming across the border every morning to come to training now, if you, you know, it might sound because the two cities are so close to each other. There is I literally I'm facing right now where I am in my in my in my house. I, I see Mexico in the far because I live in on the hill. And so I, I can see it. I can throw a rock at a, at, a, at a, you know, Mexican house. So it's very close. However, the the morning traffic at the border could be an hour and a half wait. You know, there's there's uh, there's a certain commitment that these kids make that I cannot believe that anywhere else in the country they make it. So one of my players, who is a really, really good player, a forward player, um, wakes up 3.30 a.m. to come to train in the morning. Wow. Um, then, then they go to school, right? And then they go home. And again, on the way home at 5 o'clock, again, an hour and a half in, on, the, uh, on, on the border. So, so certain commitments that they make, we must, we must adjust as a club. We have a, we have a service, a van service. Um, the club is, is paying for the paying for the van to go around because um, El Paso is situated in a way that it's the west side and then the central downtown and then the, and then the east side. The east side is much bigger and in a larger uh, territory. Um, and the van goes around, picks up the kids, and takes them in the morning to training. Um, so we have we have made certain accommodations to help help kids. And then for the rest of the academy that is not fully funded, uh, we have some great sponsors, and our ownership are, is very generous. Um, and, uh, you know, we have certain financial aid programs and certain scholarship pro- pro- um, programs that help the kids that are in need um, to, to, to be able to play soccer. Um, the, other, the other challenge connected to this, because I know that this is what you're asking, really, um, the, other, the other challenge here is the travel. You know, America is crazy when it comes to that. The distances are crazy. And in El Paso, the distances are even bigger. So anywhere we go to another town, that's minimum five hours, minimum. 
um, traveling, driving. Um, so, you know, we, we have to make sure that our, you know, our club is making it available for a lot of players because otherwise we won't be able to travel. We won't be able to go anywhere. We won't be able to measure ourselves up to anybody else. But, uh, God, that's, that's a separate po- podcast, just the, I mean, the, the challenges in that there. Um, again, the, the criticism of, of American soccer landscape is that it is, it's moving to elitist and middle class and, it's actually refreshing to hear some of that. It's not like not, not to hear people are struggling, but to hear that it's still accessible to to those people um, at a at a pro club that that we're doing that there. I mean, that's that's a big big commitment, great commitment for the club. Yeah, no. I, again, it is not time to for marketing, but our ownership is our ownership is very generous and very we are very thankful for that. I'm actually very happy about it. Now, you know, on the on the reality side of things, you won't be able to do a successful youth organization here in El Paso if you are not with that mindset. Now, you mentioned about our values. You know, one of our values is gratitude and, and, and humility. And those, those values come together because as a result, I have the responsibility to teach our players and our membership that we need to give back. We have we have monthly we have we are monthly going with our under twenties that is again a U twenty team that is fully funded. We are monthly doing a community community service project. We were walking dogs. We were packing food. Uh, I mean, we were going. To, we are going to go to the zoo. That's the next thing. So we are doing a lot of things. We we had one time when the whole entire club. I mean, everybody in the club uh, was packing food for homeless. I mean, you know, we are trying to do things that also not necessarily you know, part of our duties or our jobs, but we are trying to show that like what we are getting, we are trying to give back. So that's that's a major piece uh, in my job to show our ownership um, and they've taken it really well actually, but to show our ownership that, hey, we understand the generosity and we understand the commitment that you are putting in to improve the quality of life, but I have the responsibility to lead this community and to give back. All right, coaches, we'll take a quick break here to thank our sponsor, Sports Lab 360. If you're looking for something to immediately impact the development and performance of your players, you have to check out Sports Lab 360. It's an online platform made up of engaging, interactive modules that focus on a variety of tactical principles. As a coach, you can assign these modules to your players prior to training based on the topic you'll be working on. So instead of having to progress from A all the way to Z, your players will have a cognitive head start when they arrive at the session. As a result, you don't have to spend as much training time explaining these principles. You can move on quickly to the next layer, imprinting your philosophy and style of play as you go. Coaches can also track player progress, put in customized notes, tap into session plan library, a collaboration with Modern Soccer Coach to put these concepts to work on the practice field. It's a fantastic platform and throughout the month of September, you can use the code MSC to save 15% off any Sports Lab 360 plan. Huge thanks to Sports Lab 360 for teaming up with us for these podcasts. Really appreciate the support. Coaches, check them out, Sports Lab 360, and take advantage of the special offer. All right, back to Ivan. Just alongside that, then the challenges with coaching, I mean, going in coaches to try and get a number of coaches at the right quality uh, let's talk. So we'll, we'll talk about two things here. Talk about retention, quality control, or management. But first of all, I want to talk about like almost like talent identification from a coaching standpoint. How does that process work? Um, we're talking about the values, and it's I think it's one of the hot topics. And a lot of people are talking about, oh, I have these values and I have those values, and I found it really difficult to. And and that is an area of interest for me of how to connect everyday life with those values. And I thought when I was, when I was at previous places, I thought that the way that it goes is that repeat those values and like use it like a, you know, like a classroom session, like, okay, let's talk about gratitude today. Um, And I don't think that's the way to do it. I think what I'm trying to do and it's hard, right? Because a lot of times you have to be honest to yourself and, and, and to other people, we're trying to personify those values. Um, the community service is part of it, as I said, about the humility and the gratitude. Um, the other one is, for example, effort. Um, one of the things that, you know, it, it's easy to say in the training session, like give 100%, right? And, you know, do these things. And how I show it in my everyday life, I can only 
talk about myself is that, okay, I'm, you know, I'm there for you. I'm present. I'm there to serve you. I'm there to help you. And I'm specifically talking about the coaches. If you need, Hey, you have, you didn't get your coaching gear. Okay. Let me go run and, and, and get you something. You know, we, we buying balls, we buying equipment, we buying all these things to make it easy for you. We, we are trying to serve not just our community, but again, the people that are, we work with, I, I'm that's, that's my effort piece. Right. Um, but again, I'm also I'm also believing believing on horizontal leadership, which means that you know I'm not trying to again just the same way as we're talking about those those uh, the handshake policy and the commandments, right? I'm not trying to I'm not coming in here and I'm looking over you and I'm telling you what needs to be done. Uh, I have some certain standards and we have some certain goals, and when I have to, I I I you know I'm trying to make everybody responsible, but at the same time I'm trying to involve everybody so they can so they can look after each other. We look after ourselves, and and that. That way the values can be represented towards our community and everything everything else we do so i you know i would i would um i would risk to say that some of our players haven't even heard our values yet right we give a presentation we do those things right but at the same time it's not like we are gonna you know even though there's a big football culture in, in texas american football culture in texas we're not gonna print shirts and put it down all these five things and say that we are done with it we are trying to preach about these things in a way that it represents and personified by ourselves and our people not necessarily with a classroom setting one of our goals is to send kids to college right so every year because we are and i enjoy this a lot that i'm working for a professional organization we have the capacity to have a press conference where we invo involve all the media and everybody right uh, not every club is able to do that so that's a big plus for us that we have the stadium we have the you know the again the capacity um and so whenever we have those press conferences i give a speech about what this means to the academy what this what this means to the community this guy is coming from xy high school and we thank them for their education and the soccer program that they've done that is again my piece of gratitude and also my piece of coherence my piece of humility that hey it's not just my work it is we are all in this together as a soccer community and we are saying that out loud and this is how i connect it to the to the values or another thing which is like a much more exciting one is you've asked about barca one of our values is courage and you know playing playing with the ball is already courageous enough and uh, i can't tell you how many academy games i've watched where we're losing three nothing and i'm still yelling at my coaches to not uh not try to go long ball and risk it all try to stay with your style that is courage that is a, that is a that is a big load of courage about about playing the way the playing the game in a certain way that might mean that some games we struggle more than others well that's cool that's a hot topic let's stay on that one then because uh -oh. el paso like el paso usl first team one of the one of the best footballing teams in the usl uh like last year was probably my favorite team to watch there's rotations everywhere things i love it but but again what you're saying there is like okay there's going to be days when that's when it doesn't go right and you get the you, you know you lose as a leader you know, you're saying there that you're you're still going to say, listen, stick with it, coaches. We're in America, of course. Parents are going to be standing, chatting, and shouting the opposite of that. There, how do you manage then to deal with noise versus doing what's right? A really difficult one. Um, and and this is not a stereotype, so I I want to go away from that. I, at the same time, I can I I'm just trying to say my experiences and voice my experiences. I think in the Latino culture, winning is a big deal. Um, and I think my my uh, my friends here would would uh, agree with me on that. Um, so if you walk out if you walk out on any given game day when there's a tournament in one of our complexes here, I mean you see some crazy stuff. I mean full. I mean a, a U10 game could be you know 100 150 people watching. Uh, moms, you know all, the entire family is out there. They're having a picnic on the field because we are gonna be here all day and we're gonna make a party out of it. The music is blaring. I mean, it is the best soccer environment you have ever seen. However, it comes with a challenge of everybody is yelling, screaming at the kids about do this, do that, do the third. Um, everybody thinks that their kid is gonna be the next professional player. So it's a so it's a challenge to educate on. Okay, what is winning for us? And that that is one of the things that I'm doing. It's trying to redefine winning. Um, now, if anybody knows, I'm a competitive person. So, you know, we are we are communicating our wins. Believe me, we are communicating our wins. 
but I'm in the process of redefining what it means winning. And for us, winning is, is always have to be some kind of uh, way tied to the style of play. And that way we can kind of, kind of convince people. And that's like, that's like an ongoing process to convince everybody that, okay, winning could be defined in a certain way too. Mm, brilliant. Brilliant. Brings us along nicely. Now the, 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 the state of play, uh, what separates you we talked about the different culture, you know, the culture, uh, that you're trying to grow and trying to almost then integrate the two different cultures between the, the borders and all this unique challenges. But on top of that, you've got a layer of a, a language and a, and a methodology, a football language. Uh, and, I, and I looked at that, I loved that there, and you've, you've actually laid out a lot of terms. How do, how do you go about, again, how do you go about building that? Or how do you go about communicating, managing that language? Because I, I imagine it, it can become quite challenging. Yeah, um, one thing I will say is that, again, this is very similar to the values conversation that with the language, we are trying to do it through through ourselves. We talk in a certain way and hopefully that will stick to stick to the other people around us as well. Um, I learned that at Barca Academy, at Barca Residency Academy. They do, did a fantastic job. Our technical directors did a fantastic job while I was there uh, where they were speaking in a certain way and we kind of copied that, you know, we, we heard how they speak and then we learned it and we understood it. Um, one thing that is a big difference when it comes to style of play, um, because you can't just copy and paste. Just because I was at Barca Residency Academy and I learned the Barca methodology. First of all, the Barca methodology is always changing. Back in the day, it was, it was position, possession and pressure. The three P's, now it's three R's, right? It's, it's relocation, redistribution and recovery. And, and uh, what I will say is that at Barca Residency Academy, when we were there, uh, the relocation and the redistribution was the big deal, having the ball, which was position and possession in the old, old, old way to say it. It's having the ball, how are we going to uh, manage the spaces? And those things are very important to us too. However, again, adjusting to the environment, all of a sudden pressure and recovery became a, a more important thing for the Mexican-American culture. We, we are a battling, a battling kind of town. We battle, we defend well. We are very enthusiastic, almost too emotional sometimes, right? However, we are very, very motivated when it comes to pressuring on the ball and, and pressing well and, and, and recovering, the, recovering the ball in, a, in an effective way. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm going away from relocating and redistributing and space management and ball management and, and the different superiorities. However, I am, working on, I am working on understanding the community that I'm in here more and i in based on my experience i can put more emphasis on the on the recovery or the you know the the pressure side of the things so so i'm adjusting the barca methodology that i learned i'm adjusting to it and making it our own within a different context brilliant brilliant your your long-term player development model is broken into three parts skill acquisition skill learning and then skill mastery can you talk a little bit about those three and, and how they're different? Yeah, uh, to be fair, the whole process should be called skill adaptation. Uh, one of the things about, about the Barca methodology and, uh, and, uh, and the development of, of, of sports people um, is that we need to create an environment in which they can be adapting always to different things. Because the game of soccer, the game of football is unpredictable and it's a chaotic situation. There's a theory, chaos theory, which is about if you if you have i don't know if you came across that it's a really interesting one because you who run in sessions you 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 see the chaos the chaos theory every single day when you introduce a new new exercise or a new drill you put in the ball and the first five minutes how many coaches step in and guys no 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 and already giving the giving the solution meanwhile what is happening in that five minutes is chaos because there's a new environment, the, the drill, the cones are being put down differently, the space is different. Maybe it's a different kind of numerical situation. Someday it's a four versus four plus three. The other, other time it's eight versus four. Now it's a three versus two, but in a different constraint on rule. And so it's always different. That's why, the, that's why repeating drills and exercises is not necessarily helping the kids. It's always need to be in a, Barca says, the Barca methodology says that every six weeks period, you shouldn't uh, repeat the same exercise with the same rules. You can do a 4v4 plus 3 kind of exercise a thousand different ways. So you can do 4v4 plus 3, but change the rules a little bit. Um, so the players will always need to adapt. And in that five minutes, the job is for the player is to make get from the chaos to an organized environment. And then when it's organized environment, you as a coach, you come in, 
you sprinkle in something else to make it chaos again. So they need to adapt. Um, somebody like Diego Luna, who is you know one of one of the best young players in America. I I I never seen anybody like him. Um, an unbelievable player. He's on the U20 uh, American national team and playing for Real Salt Lake uh, for the first team. Thankfully now quite regularly. And the big thing about him was, and that's how I decide on, you know, who I think has a high potential and who doesn't, is how quickly, how quickly they can adapt to that environment. If somebody can slowly adapt, lower potential. If somebody quickly adapts, higher potential. Diego Luna took seconds. Every single session, every single drill, every single exercise. That's why he could become a professional at age 17. He, he, it was not a chaos ever. It was always organized. I always had to find something that is that is fancy for him, just for him. So he's a little bit more challenged and I never could find one. Um, so when it comes back to, to the skill acquisition, skill learning and skill uh, mastery, we need to understand that, that it, there is a skill acquisition in the, pre, in, the, in the beginning of the part. We need to learn how to do things. Also, it's a different topic of how to define skill, because for me, I, I don't care if you pass the ball inside of the foot or outside of the foot, as long as it goes in the right place at the right time, I'm happy with it. Now, there are some best practices, right? Passing the ball with the inside of the foot is the best practice, so I will tell that to the players, but some players might not want to pass it that way. That's the skill acquisition part. Then the skill learning is when the coach comes in and gives a little bit of advice about, hey, I'm seeing that this is how you are doing this, I think you could be doing it this way as well and you would be more successful. And then the skill mastery is when we get to the older age groups, when winning it comes into a conversation and what you have learned until that point, you need to use towards a common goal, which is winning, winning football games. In terms of training, when you're then saying like, okay, to the coaches and you're again, the coach education aspect from the club, do the coaches have a license to to put on, you mentioned there about every six weeks and adaptation. Do the coaches have a license with freedom with what they put on or or do you have a, a set curriculum in, in place? No, we have we have the document that I sent you, we have we have those pieces breaking down and and kind of you know trying to introduce it to them. Now and and you alluded in in some of the questions you asked and you know you're a smart guy. I'm not surprised by that. But you know we have part-time coaches that are not necessarily have all the time they have a full-time job and, you know, they, they have other things to do. So it's very challenging to figure out how to educate them. One of the first things that I did as an academy director is that I hired a, a person that was responsible for the methodology and the coaching development piece. Um, his name was Victor Olivares. I say was because he just left us. He, he went to um, uh, Texas A&M International. It's a Division II co uh, college. And he wants to be in the college game, so he decided to go. We are very proud of him. And... Um, we are very grateful for him. He's a, he's a great guy and he spent multiple years in Barcelona. So he fell into my lap uh, because we were speaking the same language. And then I continued my lucky streak because then I was able to hire Alex Pozo, who is right now uh, responsible for two things other than uh, uh, coaching with me. Is, uh, one is the coaching development piece and the other one is the college recruitment piece. But the, the coaching development piece is he's excellent at. He was the technical director for the state of uh, the State Association of Arizona. And so he's very knowledgeable. You know, he's the teacher type of guy that is able to handle the methodology meetings and the methodology pieces. And once again, because we work together at Bart's Residency Academy, we speak the same language. So I was able to uh, work with people on this piece that I don't need to establish, a, you know, a synergy. We already have that. And what we are doing is a lot of things that is able to do on at home basis right i do a coaching wednesdays for example that you know i send out materials on wednesdays one of the days i sent out like uh you know does be talking about talking about their system and how the double pivot helps you know uh, other times we sent out a, a leslie i sent out a, an interview with fc norchland uh, assistant coach there was an interview about and fc norchland is one of the best danish academies um that are playing a lot of young players kind of like what we want to become so you know a, a long interview with the assistant coach of their first team and you know you can read it it's you're at home maybe you get home from training at 9 30 and you want to end the day and you're reading it now there's other four more policies right uh, we have a, a thing called control document that Kind of, um, you know, it's like a, 
it's like an Excel sheet, right? Very boring about, hey, what did you do today? I did a rondo, a position game, and then a situation game. Okay, what values did you, what was the value today that you, that you, that you um, attached to the training session? Okay, was this value? Um, okay, how many, how many, um, how many set pieces did you do? Did you practice any set piece today? No, okay. And then in the end of the day, end of the year, there's like a percentage of like, okay, I did a lot of, a lot of rondos, not a lot of position games, and a lot of scrimmages. Now we can sit down in our IDP meetings and talk about because the coaches have IDP meetings, and we can go through like, okay, I see that you're doing a lot of rondos. That's great, but can you do a little bit more situation games where they're learning the build-up because maybe your team struggled in the build-up? So that control document is the more formal policy situation, but also we do a lot of things that you can do at home um, that highlight some of the methodology pieces that we that we introduce and, and trying to trying to teach. Yeah, that that's very interesting because that was one of the questions. How do you manage, you know, that that process of checking in with coaches or even even observing? Like how often yeah. how often a week do you get yourself around to observe other coaches and, and watch a bit of them and give a bit of feedback? Uh, very difficult. I'm uh, I have a two year old at home um, <laughs> and my wife is any day any day with, with, oh, wow. with our boy. Yeah. With our little boy. Yeah. Monday is the due date. I don't know when the show is going to come out, but um, Monday, the 21st. Monday. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so I might be a, a father of two by then. Um, so, you know, there's like a lot of things that on, on, in my personal life that is, that is challenging. Now, one of the reasons why we have a guy working full-time with me in Alex Poso that is responsible for that. He is my two eyes on the on the field but we also have other coaches that you know i i talk to and take on extra responsibilities when it comes to this but for example the last two weeks i was at every day every night there now this why am i doing that because i know that in the next couple of weeks i might be not sleeping as much um so i might not be able to do that much i try to do i try to do as much as possible again when it comes to the effort value i'm trying to again personify it and be there a lot but you know life is happening and i cannot be there all the time um and also the other thing is just simply location reasons we training at multiple facilities and you know i cannot be everywhere uh, I'm, I'm only one person so i cannot be everywhere but at the end of the day, we are recording training sessions. Some of the training sessions are being recorded. Um, I'm with the U20 teams. I'm the uh, U20 team. I'm the head coach for the U20 team. So the end of the the end of the development piece, I'm not only overseeing, but I'm the one that's making it happen. Um, so as a result, I see the kind of pieces that I need to see in order to evaluate if we are doing well or not. But again, I am not a person that think I I see it all and I know it all. So that's why I'm trying to share the responsibilities share my my um my role in a way that it's not only me that is that is looking after ourselves you said there about uh mentioned there about the sending the clip with the deserve the double pivot um similar to the training question the tactical flexibility does a, does a coach have to is there a el paso way of a of a certain formation shape system or or again does coaches have the flexibility uh that's a good question um I will say this. Um, I, I don't believe that the style of play depending on depending on the the system of play. Now, at the same time, uh, just like when I said, there is now no proper technique or there is no proper skill, um, but there is some best practices, right? Mm -hmm. So, based on my experience, playing in a four-three-three helps the most when it comes to teaching positional play and managing spaces, managing managing the ball, and trying to trying to manage the different advantages and disadvantages that existing in the game, right? Um, uh, and, you know, if you want to change your system, your formation, um, because you want to highlight a different kind of advantage, for example, in the Latino culture, in the Mexican-American culture, the qualitative uh, advantage is much more highlighted, much more highlighted than, for example, the numerical one. They want to dribble. They want to beat people 1v1. As a result, if we want to change our formation into a different formation that highlights the qualitative uh advantage we will do that i give you an example i it's funny because i i preach to the boys uh and when i say to the boys i i mean my coaches i i i preach to my coaches that hey 43 and this is and then with my u20s i'm playing a 352. um so you know it's 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 one of those where i am not trying to be a hypocrite i'm trying to just tell them the reason why we are doing this is because we are lacking in center backs and in wingers so if you don't have two center backs have three uh, if you don't have wingers, then put two forwards on top. Give the width with the with the wing backs. And so, 
that's what that's what we are doing. That's what we are trying to do. And as a result, when you come out to to the to the to the U20 game, you're gonna see the same style of play that you see from any other academy team, except that we're gonna have two forwards and three center backs. Um, meanwhile, the the other thing about it is, and this is based on purely purely my experience with the U13 age group, U13, U14 age group. If you ever seen a U13 soccer game in Hungary, where I'm coming from, we put it on the top of the box, 11 v 11, but on the top of the box. Here in America, we don't do that. So now these little guys need to cover the entire ground that is unbelievably big for them. So sometimes playing with two center backs is a, is a, is a very difficult thing to do. So just because the distances between the players and, and, you know, space management is about the distances of association between the teammates. And if we are too far from each other, how are we going to pass short? How are we going to, like, the kids cannot play, you know, 60, 40, 60 yard of passes to escape some kind of pressure. We need to be close to each other. And as a result, if we need to play with three in the back, then we play in three in the back. But again, best practices based on the experience is the 43. And that's what I'm asking from them. But if they have a good argument, I, I'm not standing in the way. Mm. All right, St- staying on best practices. So when you're saying like Barca methodology and you're coming into a club and I'm sure there's there's other directors of coaching listening to this and saying, oh, I remember when I went in and, and spoke to my U10 coaches or my U8 coaches and said, or, you know, mentioned Barca, Barca methodology. And, and you'd have a, a coach going, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I do a rondo and you, you look out right. and he's doing a, a 10 v2. Yeah. What are some... What are some do's and don'ts for simple, the rondo, good rondo, effective rondo, ineffective rondo? What are some differences? Oh, that's a good one. Um, so one of the things that I, I always say is that, you know, we need to, first of all, we need to define what we mean by a rondo, okay? Uh, based on, again, because everybody else, I see it all the time, everything called a rondo, okay? I can only say what Barca methodology and what I learned uh, defines rondo as, and that is a sort i mean a small area where players are outside of the grid nobody inside so four v four plus three in based on this definition is not a rondo usually typically it's on one unit of a field so it's it's not you know if you if you try to make like four or five different vertical channels and then across the field as well it the maximum is just one unit um it is in a scientific language, occupation is defined. So in other words, I, I tell the players that you need to be on the outside. If somebody is inside, we already call it a position game in, based on our methodology. If I, if I assign a role to you saying you need to be on the width, you need to be on top, you need to be in the back, that's a position game. If I assign to you a position, which is like kind of confusing because then it would be a position game, but if I, if I assign you a position, you are in this scenario, you are a right back or you are a left back, that's a situation game, okay? So, so I'm not calling all the, all the games that you need to keep the ball uh, and there's an opponent and there's, a, there's a, a possession team and then there's a recovery team. I don't call that a rondo. I call a rondo a 4v2 when everybody's outside. It could be an, a 15 versus 2 as well if everybody's outside. Okay, um, the dynamic of the of the rondo it needs to, it, it doesn't have to be uh, uh, two directional. That doesn't have to be directional at all. It could be multi-directional. Um, uh, but the continuity is something that is always there. Meaning, um, you know, what I like to do is uh, if uh, if the team in possession puts the ball out of bounds, I'm not just saying okay, new ball possession team, good job. I give a point to the recovery team. So, you know, the, if the goal is to keep the ball, I'm not rewarding giving the ball away. So that's something about the continuity of the game to clearly defining there is a team in possession and there is a recovery team. Um, other than that, again, the objective is to, you know, depending on the situation, the objective is trying to get the ball from one area to the other without losing it. That is the objective of the rondo. If I want to speak in a very traditional language, it's about passing lanes. It's about, it's about body, body position. It is about, the, as we said, the proper technique or the best practices about receiving with the back foot, receiving with, the, with an open, open, open body position, look up, having your head up. I think a rondo is a great to, to set the foundations of, of the principles that you want to teach. Uh, look far first, escape the pressure, make short passes in a certain area to go to another one. I mean, you know, these things are all existing in rondo. Some people are saying, 
you know, uh, and I heard it from Barca technical directors that like, every day we did the 4v2 at, at, at La Masia. I doubt that, you know, I doubt that. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure they did sometimes passing coordination for activation purposes and, and things like that. But for sure, the Rondo is a key piece when it comes to teaching, again, keeping the ball for as long as possible without worrying about a goal, without worrying about, uh, you know, scoring. It is about, it's about keeping the ball, trying to move the ball from one area to another. Fantastic, fantastic. All right, this has flown. Uh, last couple for you here. The, the individualization um, in the U.S. Is, is generally quite difficult to produce that. You, you, we talked there about Luna, you know, this this outlier. Sometimes difficult because the business model and the elite development model sometimes cross over, sometimes uh, put heads and uh, you, you might get a high achiever playing in a group that are maybe demotivated players, you know, and we have sometimes that crossover within the landscape over here. How do you manage that? How do you, or do, or do you, do you experience that there? Yeah, I certainly do. I have a budget to keep and I, I need to be responsible for what I'm doing, of course. Um, however, it all comes, all comes from our ownership and all comes what is, what is the goals? What are the, what are the things that, you know, that we want to achieve? One of the first things that I've done and I've, Pretty sure I've done this during the interview process as well. I, I asked, what is my work going to be measured on? Um, funny you mentioned Sean McCaffrey because I called him before, before you know, getting this job. And I asked him, hey, what, what, would be, what, what is an important thing to, to think about before an interview like that? You know, go into a, into a professional organization as an academy director. And he said that, okay, the KPIs are very important. And, and that's what I started with. And uh, they said that, you know, college and the professional path. Now, of course, I added that when I evaluated what we have, I added that, you know, we need to be administratively on top from an organizational standpoint, we need to have a structure. And the other one is from a, from a uh, development standpoint and from a recruitment standpoint, having the best players in the El Paso area. So it, when I know that, now I can allocate the resources that I, that I have or that I don't have and ask for more if I have to, or cut something off and add some more here and there. Um, I, I am being supported very much by, by our leadership and ownership, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, I'm able to give, again, I'm able to give uh, kids opportunities to play. Um, I am able to, I'm able to hurdle the challenges with the, with the traveling. Um, we are, you know, don't tell anybody, but we are definitely not an expensive club uh, when it comes to, when it comes to nationwide. I mean, and now I'm being, being very generous about what we are. Um, and so we, we, we help our community when it comes to finances. Uh, and, but at the same time, there's certain, again, there's certain restrictions that my budget and, and, and the, the financial piece puts on me, some constraints that are, that are being put on me. Um, but again, at the end of the day, everybody likes to play the game. The Latino community loves to play this game. Uh, they would do everything to play this game. So as a result, I'm, I'm very lucky when it comes to that theoretical questions here let's say along that along that values and academic world 75 percent um is the goal right is the is to get to college let's say again let's use diego luna let's say you've got this mercurial talent at the club who you're going to say is going to the pathway is looking at all right they're going to go to the, the first team at el paso and Right, USL youth contract on school. Let's say it's no interest. Let's say his GPA is a 2.0, 1.5. Uh, how do you manage that there from a, a leadership standpoint to try and get performance and academics? Well, look, I'm, a, I'm an immigrant, but I'm also a first-generation college student. I came to this country, got a full scholarship at Old Dominion University, um, which means that you know, I know exactly the value of, of college education. Also, all of my colleagues uh, went to college and, and I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get people into our organization that can, again, as I use this term, but personify this idea that, you know, football is very good, but it's a resource and a tool to use for other things as well. Now, at the same time, we're not holding anybody back. We're not saying that, you know, your only route is college. What we are trying to do is make a legitimate pathway that they can go to, to college. We hired a college recruitment coordinator. His, his job is to, is to match 
colleges with with kids um the last last year since i've been here 16 kids went to college all of them all of them are getting some kind of help financially from the institution whether it's athletic or academic because we have all the levels division one division two division three juco and and naia so we 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 have all the spectrum because you know we always say that uh, you know it's not one size fits all so we we are trying to create that pathway now at the same time for Diego Luna, college was never an option. For, for one, for one little second, it was when everybody thought that he's the way that he looks, or the you know the the you know I'm sure that he heard it many times. We talk about this all the time. The perception of him was very wrong with his tattoos on his neck and stuff like that. Meanwhile, he's the he's the best teammate that you can have. It's a gr he's a great kid, very smart actually, very intelligent. And I'm not talking about street smart. I'm talking about legitimately an intelligent boy. And uh, you know when you there was one second when we thought that maybe he will not be able to battle that, that, um, you know, perception, but he battled it. But, you know, for somebody like him, it was never really an option to go to college. Uh, I, I have a, a couple of names in my mind that I'm not going to share with you that went to college and I thought that they should have went to the professional path. And I think they will end up being back, back there. But also I have some that went to the professional path, uh, got a two-year contract and maybe, maybe they wish that they went the college path. Um, so I, I think I think we are an advisors. We are trying to manage this path, these pathways and try to create both of them as a legitimate one. Um, obviously, everybody wants to be a pro, but we have a responsibility to show that you know soccer could be a tool and the and the facilitator to do something else as well. Mm, fantastic, fantastic. Um, last one for you, toughest question. I think I think this is uh -oh. the toughest one. So you've got because this is what I think a lot of DOCs technical directors deal with uh you're obviously spread thin you've got a, a new baby on the way and and family's yep. gonna get doubled and all that great stuff and and there's probably not enough of you to go around on a daily basis at the club yeah already so how do you uh, two questions one um energy how do you manage yourself and keep yourself in a good and keep like you're obviously really really passionate and enthusiastic about what you do how do you keep those energy levels up on a daily basis is number one and then the second one that i would ask would be well how do you find room for that self-development piece yourself uh really difficult that is a difficult one um well you know the 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 politically correct answer here is that i have a wonderful family that supports me <laughs> a lot and you know i have a staff that is supporting me a lot and they are very capable uh which is which is true to be fair i have a wife that is you know just a champion because we we got married and then within the same year we moved to you know arizona chandler arizona um then then we had a baby and then we moved back to richmond virginia where she's where she her family is then i said let's go to el paso and we went to el paso so you know she's a champion first of all um second of all the the truth is that it is a challenge for me me personally if you want to if you want to ask me it's a, it's a challenge for me to to make the time management is really difficult especially if you think about my my schedule that the youth venues again that I'm head coaching is training in the morning and then um the rest of the academy training in the afternoon so you know and then in between I have the administrative and and leadership situations in the office um I'm just coming from meetings you know right now so it's it's you know it is really difficult i always say this is what i say usually is that i'm, I'm basically doing the job of three people um at an mls academy this is not this is not the case um they have a technical director that is only worrying about the game and the style of play and the philosophy and then there's the academy director that is most often an uh, you know an operational piece and then there's a the director of recruitment or the scouting director that is bringing in and managing the id camps and managing the the teams in a, in a way that makes sure that the talent is coming here and, and retaining it and and the pathways are being created and, and so on and then there's the administrative people that are helping all these all these things from an organizational structure um, I have a great administrative staff um, who is helping me a lot. However, I'm the recruitment director. I'm the uh, head of methodology. I'm the director of coaching and I'm the academy director in one piece. Um, now I have helpers. And then again, horizontal leadership comes in handy here. I'm not 
I'm not the I'm not a dictator of this club. Uh, I I try to delegate as much as possible and involve people in every area as much as possible. Um, but I every day I'm making a decision. And also the, we haven't even talked about it. The connection to the first team about you know you know we we do have a professional team and I'm the head coach for the U20. So the so the next up and coming talent is going through my hands and I need to manage that relationship with the first team in an effective way. So I always say that out of three jobs every day I'm making a decision on which two I'm doing. Am I the U20 head coach and then the and then the you know the academy director, or am I the academy director and the director of coaching? Usually, the U20 since I'm the head coach is always stable, and then I decide: Am I an academy director today, or am I a director of coaching today? Um, and so, trying to balance it is really difficult. Um, one thing I'm very lucky with um, that I actually it's a little scary that I'm the most calm and collected, and I'm in the best mood when I'm on the field. And so. I hope my wife is not listening to this to this <laughs> podcast because it's a scary thing to admit. Um, you know, of course, being with your family is giving you a different kind of satisfaction. But when it comes to okay, calm, enjoyable, and trying to focus on a different task is when I'm on the field, and so that is really difficult to skip. That is really difficult to skip. I love that. I love that. I appreciate that honesty because you're right. A lot of people would say, you know, going out for dinner with my wife. Yeah. Me, it is great. No, don't get me wrong. Uh, once again, I'm trying to save my save my back now. Um, Brilliant. But yeah. Brilliant. Uh, what about like, all right, so staying, again, staying on the cutting edge and staying, uh, you mentioned there about the Barca methodology changing and then and obviously it's going to evolve and change again. And how do you stay, not relevant, but how do you stay on top of the cutting edge of the game tactically and, and technically and all that good stuff? I'm trying to I'm trying to have friends that know more than I do, um, and also I, I, what I'm lucky with, and I, I'm this is a very lucky situation that I'm in that I'm able to read, write, and speak in two languages, um, because the Hungarian language also provides certain perspectives that maybe not a lot of I mean there's only 10 12 million people of 50 million people of Hungarians in this world. So, you know, whoever, whatever is being written in the Hungarian language, it's a very small amount of people that can read that. So as a result, any kind of new information, and there's not a lot, but there's some that is in Hungarian, I'm able to, I'm able to not necessarily take it, but use it as a different perspective and compare it with what I have here. Obviously, the English language is not, right now, you know, books and webinars and, you know, your show and, and all the things that, that all the people are doing when it comes to speaking about the game and maybe even showing a, showing a presentation, it's there and available. So you do all those things, right? But also having the comparison with a different culture is a big, big deal, I think, and, and I feel lucky. And of course, as I said, I have friends that know a lot. You know, and I'm trying to learn from them and I'm picking their brains and I'm trying to trying to study and and trying to make it my own. I, you know, I, I, I heard um, I heard a webinar that was given by Marcelo Bielsa and I said that I copied everything. That's how he started the presentation. He said, everything that you're going to hear, I copied from some somewhere from somebody. And I, I second that. Now, that doesn't mean that we are copy and paste. That means that that means that, OK, I took that from here. I might have took this from a recreational coach of how he breaks down the training session at the end with the players, what kind of cheer they do or whatever. Um, you know, this is I learned at Barcelona Academy and this I learned from the from the Mexican-American coach that I have here as a colleague. And I put it together and I call it the Ivan thing. Right. And so. I'm trying to do that and, and I have a little notepad that I write down all these ideas every time I walk around. Probably I'm never gonna use that notepad ever again, but I do but I do note it down of certain things that I learned and maybe I will remember and trying to put it together into one. Brilliant, brilliant. Um all right, let me let me catch you for one more. Whenever you know, like a lot of coaches you're saying today about being refreshingly honest in that question, about you know, I, I think refreshingly honestly, a lot of coaches are are struggling in, in in leadership roles today and and overworked and are on under supported or or just disillusioned with landscapes or disillusioned with support and all that good stuff what would you say if you could if you could have someone who's who feels as if they're they're kind of stu- stuck or they're treading water as a technical director or a director of coaching and they're and they're not being impactful to get a state of play that they believe in across the line with their coaches or their club. What would be the one thing that you could say is, hey, listen, try try this or try and get this thing right. There's one piece right, and and you might see a change in in fortunes or a change in momentum. 
Uh, great question. Um, I think one of the experiences that I that I learned, and this could be could be controversial to the or contradictory to the one where we're talking about time management. One thing that big time changed for me is when I started to coach. Um, because in the beginning, in the first six, seven months, I didn't coach. I came in and I we had a U20 coach and we I was watching the coaches and I'm doing the business side of things. And I'm at the U20 training still. I'm at the first team training still. And, you know, I was part of some of the training sessions with the first team and I was part of some of the training sessions with the U20s. Not because I, I infiltrated myself in, let me show you how to do it, but because they asked me and I, I was lucky enough to get the opportunity. But then when our U20 coach left, um, I needed to I needed to find somebody and because we are training in the morning um we have part-time coaches mostly in the area we didn't have anybody that is available in the mornings so I had to take over and uh obviously I wanted to coach after a while uh, but also I was the only option to to do that and it's a very important project in in the Apostle locomotive organization um so it was an important thing to to make sure that we have the proper the proper resources allocated to that including the coaching staff and when I started coaching, I record every training session I do. I put it on a platform and everybody can see it. I draw up every training session. I share those training sessions with the coaches so they can see it. Um, the control documents that I'm talking about that, uh, you know, game reports, uh, minutes that each player played, practice attendance, um, uh, predicted roster for the next year, depth charts, um, you know, the, the methodology control document, which is, okay, what are you doing around the position game? What kind of value, um, you know, what, which moment you're focusing on the possession moment and recovery moment. And I'm filling all those out and everybody can see that I'm filling all those out. Everybody can see that I'm not having big freezes in the middle of the training session. Oh, freeze. Let me, let me step in and have a five minute coaching point because I'm a very knowledgeable coach. You know, I, I don't, I don't do that. I'm trying to, once again, I use the word now three times, personify what I'm trying to do. Now, of course, sometimes they come out and, um, you know, my friend Jed at Barca will laugh at this when he hears it. But yeah, I curse sometimes, unfortunately, on the sideline. And so that's not the best personifying uh, situation where I'm trying to teach humility. So, you know, it caught me, caught me sometimes on that, that, okay, I need to behave better. I, I need to, you know, be very aware of my environment and how I'm behaving because now I stepped out of the academy director role and I became the head coach of this U20 team um, that everybody's looking at, everybody's listens to, everybody's trying to um, copy per se. So that helped me a lot and it helped the community a lot because again, in the summertime, I had a lot of teachers uh, that are that are working for me as coaches. They came out to a training session. We, you know, we ran a training session like every day, and then we broke it down with them. And now they are seeing why am I doing this? For one of the biggest deal is is that I I keep scoring. I have a leaderboard for the for the players. Every deal has one or two teams or maybe three teams, and one team always wins, right? So whoever is on that team gets a point. And if you, there's three three exercises in a in a in a training session there's three points that you can win and then i put it into a leaderboard every monday now it is very unfair because maybe somebody's posting and always on the luckily always on the right team but over a semester it comes out that the three better players top five players three of them is in the in the in the top three and so that's something that I that they realized and they didn't know why I have a notepad and what am I putting down? Why am I asking names of the winning team? And then they saw and then they started to use it. So now when we run Rondo, there's a winner and then there's a loser. Beforehand, it was we just said, OK, you got eight, eight passes, you get a point. And then now what? OK, you got four points. OK, now what? Like it, it meant nothing. So that was one of the things, just a little tiny thing that I can say as an as an example of how I was able to, by not doing anything, just being myself and running training sessions, I was able to influence the people that are around me. Fantastic. Fantastic. Ivan, what a great way to finish it. This yeah. has been amazing. I really Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, Head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.